0: Good morning, family. Everybody doing well today? It's great to see you this morning. How many of you enjoyed our Good Friday celebration together? Wasn't that a special, special service? Unfortunately, Chander the Lamb won't make it again for with us today. He's a bit starstruck after everything that happened on, uh, on Friday. And everybody that petted him afterwards, that's a bit too much for him. So he let us know that he, he can't make it today. And, uh, but I think we had a wonderful day together. And uh, I trust that this weekend, you've had a great time uh, so far. And just today, it's such a wonderful privilege to come and to gather together under the name of the risen Christ. Amen? <laughs> the risen Christ. I think it's appropriate for us this morning as worshipers and those that have worshiped the Lord together to just recognize and say thank you to our amazing choir and our music team. Why don't you give them a really good round of applause and just say thank you so much. That was so, so special. This weekend we've been focusing on the Lamb and uh, about this concept in the Scriptures. And uh, on Friday I spoke about what is by as some has termed what is the greatest message ever preached, and that was John one twenty nine, where John the Baptist pointed to Christ and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that, uh, that takes away the sins of the world. And today we want to continue on and consider the Lamb of God and to, to behold the Lamb. And I made the point on Friday that we don't just look at Christ, we don't just see Him, we just, don't just glance at Him, but that we behold that we pause, that we stop, that we recognize, that we hold him in esteem and everything that he did and stands for and, and as the Christ that died on the throne, that that becomes a, a, a moment in our lives when we behold Christ that changes everything and that requires everything of us. We don't just you know, look at it as some event and pay, give it some attention and then carry on with life, but that it becomes something that is so important to us. As it happened in the days... When Christ was being revealed as who he was, and and particularly I would like to, just for us to think a little bit about the week running up to today where we are, and and we'll start with Palm Sunday, as we've come to call it, the Sunday before this, and uh, when we think about the triumphal entry of Christ into the city. And where Jesus came into the city, and you'll know the story that how the, the crowds gathered and, and the throngs lined the streets. And what they did is they, they put the palm fonts on the streets and they, they waved and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king. And how Jesus came into the city riding on the colt with such triumph and such, such joy and such celebration. Think of what the disciples must have felt when they were with Christ and probably walking behind the cult or around him as he came entering the city and, and the crowd were so in such celebratory mood and lifting up Christ and what they must have felt like the, the heights of celebration and the emotions that were, wow, finally they're recognizing who Jesus is and finally it's all coming together. It's all gonna happen. But then we know how the story continues, don't we? That by Thursday night, they were starting to feel a whole lot different than what they felt on that Palm Sunday. What they felt when Christ was entering, everything started changing. Everything became different. And where they probably found themselves by Friday at the lowest point emotionally that they could have been. Now, everything that looked so promising, that looked so good, that held so much potential, as Jesus was entering and the crowds were shouting, That same crowd had now shouted, "Crucify him!" And suddenly, they find themselves when, on that Thursday night, Jesus gets arrested, and he's taken off to to a trial. That is held under the cover of darkness at midnight around about in in an illegal way, in a way that it wasn't supposed to happen. And and witnesses are concocted because they couldn't really find anything guilty, Jesus guilty of. So they they concocted some witnesses and they they had this conspiracy against him and finally found him guilty. And and now the disciples are afraid for their lives. How quickly the triumphal entry and all the wonderful emotions of that turned into Such fear and terror and despair and uncertainty. What is going on? How do we bring these two things together? How is it possible that a crowd can at one day be proclaiming Hosanna to the king and the same people just a bit later that same week shout crucify him? How do you bring that together? How do you hold those realities in one place? That's what I would like to, for us to consider a little bit today. You see, the scripture teaches us, and, and in biblical understanding, we, we understand this, that when Christ came, there were three offices that he held. It's often called in theology offices. We can sometimes talk about three functions that he fulfilled or three roles that he had to presume and, and, and operate in. But there were three functions that Christ held, three offices. He came as a king. He came as a prophet and he came as a priest. And all three of these offices were greatly prophesied and, dis- and shown and prepared for us throughout the Old Testament. That the Son of God would come in all three of these. And so when we gather and we look at what happened on Palm Sunday, if I read it to you now, think of these three offices that Christ held. And as I read the scripture for you from Matthew 21 of the triumphal entry of Christ, see if you can pick up which are the offices that the people of the day, the crowd at that day, were focusing on. What what were they seeing Christ as? Which offices were they recognizing in Christ? Let's read from verse 4 to 11. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Can you pick up the two words that speaks of two of the officers? That Christ held king and prophet. So, when the crowds that day gathered, they were celebrating their king and they were celebrating their prophet. The word prophet in the New Testament is often likened with the concept of the Messiah, the Messiah that has come to be God among us. The word prophet means as a person that reveals God and that speaks for God. Jesus was the great prophet that came to speak to us, to reveal God to us. The scripture says, if you want to know who the Father is, then you look at Christ, the Son. He was the one that finally brought us the fuller understanding about who God is. Throughout the Old Testament, God was revealed. But the, the, the fulfillment of that revelation came in Christ. He came as the prophet to speak on God's behalf, to reveal to us who God is and to reveal God's plan. He also came as the king, the son of God. The son of God that has the authority to rule and to reign. And throughout the Old Testament, it was prophesied, from the house of David would come one whose throne would be forever. And this is the Christ that came as the, as from the household of David. And he is now the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that will reign for eternity. He is exalted as the king. So here the crowd and the disciples beheld the prophet and the king. And from the Old Testament, they recognized. Now we understand that for the people of the day, they had a very physical interpretation of these scriptures. What I mean by physical is that they not only had a spiritual view of it, but they also had a political view of it. So particularly when it came to speaking about the the king that was coming, they had a a view that the king was going to come and take his place on the throne. And that meant a physical throne. And that meant the overthrowing of of the Roman government and that Jesus would take his place again and that the nation of Israel will become the nation of God again. So when they were celebrating that day, they were celebrating this political hope that they had as a nation that the kingdom will be established. But throughout the time of Jesus' ministry, he spoke about his kingdom that would come. He, he spoke as a prophet. So there was this coming together of these two officers of Christ. And that the people were so excited about. And from the disciples' perspective, they were looking at Jesus and they were saying, Surely the king has come and the prophet, the, the prophet of God is among us. Yeah, And they were celebrating. Man, they were so excited. Who knew what that week could happen as Jesus came as the king and the prophet and rode into Jerusalem? Who knew what could happen that week when Jesus could be established in power and there was such hope in them. I wonder if they went to bed that night and some of them couldn't sleep as their minds were filled with images of, wow, what's going to happen in this week to come? But they missed the perspective Jesus had of that event. Because Jesus looked at it from a different perspective. And he gave them clues throughout that week to start readjusting their their thoughts and their expectations. To bring them around to the way he was seeing things. The first clue that he gave them was that he didn't come like a normal king would come. Riding into a city in triumph would come on a, a steed, a horse of glory and power. Jesus came on a young donkey. Right there was the first clue that they didn't pick up on. That there was something else going on also. Not only was the prophet and the king coming to town, but the priest was coming. You see, the priest in the Old Testament was the office that was established to take care of the sacrifice. The Old Old Testament, you had the king, you had the prophets, but you also had the priests. The job of the priests were the ones to offer the sacrifice, were the ones that gave up the the blood of the, the lamb and the animals that were slaughtered and the and the and the grain that was burnt and all of the sacrifices and offerings that took place to, to take care of the sins of people it was the office of the priest jesus also came in that office the office of the priest he was a different priest than any other priest in that he didn't come to bring a sacrifice he was the sacrifice that was to be offered So that day when Jesus came in riding on that colt, actually in his mind and as you listen to him speak throughout that week, his focus was on his priestly office and his priestly role, not so much on the role of the king. Now Jesus is always all three. But at certain times, certain ones come into focus. And this was a week of of the priest. When... When Jesus came, they thought, finally, here he comes, the king. He's going to take care of the Romans. But what did Jesus do that week? He cleansed the temple. Instead of taking care of the Romans, he started taking care of the religious people. Remember the the feast where Jesus had, and he said to his disciples, go and prepare for us an upper room. And when they were gathered in the upper room, the king who just rode in and was so exalted and celebrated by the city and the, the prophet of God, took out his, off his outer garments and put on the, the, the garment of, a, of the slave of the house and walked into their midst and started washing their feet and saying to them, in my kingdom, things are going to be different. And I think at that point, the disciples were already starting to go, no, this is, this is different. This is odd. We don't know how to match this with the king and the prophet. We don't quite understand how, how these come together. Especially when Jesus started talking and he said, one of you is going to, to disown me. One of, you, one of you is going to betray me. And then later he spoke to Peter and he said, you're going to disown me. And they were going, this makes no sense. This doesn't fit together. How can a king be betrayed by one of us? How can that matter? How does us disowning him, what, what does that have anything to do? He is the king. He has enough clout. He has enough power. But Christ was the servant, the priest. Throughout the Old Testament, in some key places, the prophets and the writers of the Old Testament prophesied about this priest that would come. Not only were there prophecies about the king and about the prophet, but there was also about the priest. The servant. And we often translate these passages and they have a heading so often when, when we do biblical study. And it's called the talk, the, the talk about the suffering servant. The priestly office, the suffering servant. One of the most famous passages that speaks about Christ as the suffering servant. And Initially in, in the history of Israel, the people of Israel thought that Israel was the suffering servant. But as prophecy became clearer, they started understanding that this was talking about somebody else. And in isaiah 53 it's one of the most famous, well-known prophecies about the suffering servant that was to come. And Now many of you will know Isaiah 53. I just want to read you a couple of verses, but I've, I've changed it slightly and I've, and I've put it in the first person, so that as we rear these words, perhaps it'll strike our hearts a little differently, and as we hear the words of the prophecy, I've put it as if Jesus is saying the words of Isaiah, because that's what he was doing in that week. so can I read this with you? I think they put it on the screen. you can welcome to follow. But listen to the words of the suffering servant. Surely I, look up your pain and bore, surely I took up your pain and bore your suffering. Yet people considered me punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But I was pierced for your transgressions. I was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was on me, and by my wounds you are healed. You all like sheep have gone astray. Each of you has turned to your own way, and the Lord has laid on me your iniquity. I was oppressed and afflicted, yet I did not open my mouth. I was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so I did not open my mouth. This king, with all the authority of whom the scripture says he made all things, from him all things come, and to him all things belong, and because of him all things exist. This very king, this prophet that came as a man that was innocent, that had no sin, that was a pure and, and spotless and, and, and representation of who God is, this man that you could look upon him and say, this is God, this man said, I have also come to suffer for you. You see, because if we only had a Christ that was a king, Then we could have had a ruler, but it wouldn't have changed us. It would have changed our circumstances. It would have made life a lot better to have such a wonderful and glorious and loving king. But it doesn't change us. It just puts us in a different environment. If we had a prophet that would come and speak to us and reveal to us who God is, we can know God, but we can't be part of God. We can understand God better. We can have a fuller revelation of who God is, but we will not become one with him. It took the priest, the suffering saint, to make us part of the kingdom of God and to make us one with him. It took that office. Now all three, one is not more important than the other. All three comes together in Christ. And he's always operating in all three. He always has the authority. He always proclaims who God is. But he's also always the lamb that was slain. And he brings that office also to us. And it's in this moment where Christ comes in his fullness. But it is so hard for the people to understand. It's so hard for the people to understand. You see, the Jewish people wanted a king. They didn't want a suffering servant. They had no use for a suffering servant. They had no use for a priest that would come and die on a cross. They had use for a king that would stand in power and strength and use the the myriads of angels to overthrow the Romans. That's who they had a use for. They didn't have use for this. So when Christ was being revealed and allowed this part of his office to start coming front and center, to start being revealed as the priest, the, the people started rejecting him because they didn't have any use for this. And isn't it amazing, this thought, as the prophecy says here, I was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so I did not open my mouth. That Christ came, and he allowed this to happen. You see, this is a very difficult thing, even in our days today. It's very difficult for people to get their minds around this concept. That God, the King of kings, the one with all the authority... How can that God be truly God if he's killed by the ones that he created? Surely then he can't be God. You can't be God and have all power and all authority and and have your say in everything and then be killed by the ones that you made. Surely then you're not so powerful. Surely then you're not really the ruler. Surely then you're not really the king of kings. If the very people that's supposed to serve you can topple you and kill you, then Where's your power? Many religions in the world struggle with that and are are built around this concept that a God is above his, his creation and cannot be affected by his creation. People struggle with Christianity because our God, we proclaim this belief that our God made everything, he's the highest authority, and yet we killed him. This is what we believe and what we proclaim. For Muslim people, for instance, it's very difficult to understand this. You see, in the, in the Quran, you'll have, and in the in Muslim teachings, you'll have Jesus presented as the prophet. A prophet of God. A person of God. But what disqualifies him from being a God is the fact that we killed him. Because that cannot be. Even for the Jewish people. The Jewish people that were waiting for the Messiah that was waiting for this king to come, says we're still waiting for the Messiah because that Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah because if he was killed by us, then how can he be the Messiah? We have this where we bring it all three together in Christ. And we say Christ is the lamb that allowed us to do this to him. You see, if the lamb spoke, he said, I was silent, so I did not open my mouth. Because this is the mouth that when it was opened at the creation of the world, everything came into existence. This is the mouth that gave life, that gave light, that gave origin to everything. This is the mouth that sustains everything. So if this mouth spoke that day, we would not have been able to put him on a cross. It would have taken one word and the whole thing would have been different. But this mouth kept silent. This mouth remained closed so that we could destroy him in his body so that he could be the priest that would sacrifice so that our sins can be forgiven. And not only be forgiven, but as John pointed to him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It took the, the priest to offer the sacrifice so that the sins of the world can be taken away. And it's this Christ that we celebrate today. We have the privilege of looking and seeing this Christ. Seeing how Christ came In his fullness. How Christ came and was exalted. As prophet, priest and king. And today we understand. That it is this Christ. That today is on the throne. As prophet, priest and king. He sits on the throne. Evermore. Interceding for us. As the priest. Evermore. With the wounds holding up for us our place and saying, I have paid the price. It is taken care of. It is this Christ. And we today live in that same spirit of the anointing of Christ. The anointing of Christ anointed him for all three purposes. On Friday, I read Revelations 5, and I want to read it again for you now, because I think it is so important that this becomes the, fills our minds. And this is the picture that we're so enthralled by, is the picture of the Lamb on the throne. In Revelations 5, just listen, we'll put it on the screen, but if you can just allow these words, this, this portion of Scripture, which talks about... The coming together of everything. This is a future event. This is what it's going to look like one day. This is when everything has found its proper place. This is what's going to happen. Revelations 5 verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seal? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Right there we see the king. And I saw in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders. Between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. That's the prophet. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. You were slain, you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. You have made us. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory and and blessing." And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessings and honor and glory and dominion forever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Right now, right now, this very moment as tomorrow as yesterday, the Lamb is on the throne. The Lamb is on the throne. Just think of that. Would that be normally the picture that you would see if you think of the throne in heaven? Is that the picture that you would expect to see, a lamb? And not just a lamb, a lamb with a wound, a lamb that was broken, a lamb that was injured, that lamb to be on the throne. That is not probably what you would put on a throne if you want to inspire you know, fear and dominance and strength. I think then we would rather want to see something like a a lion or something fierce if we had to have an animal symbolize it that on the throne. But no, on the throne is is a lamb with a wound. Because God says, it is through my priestly function that you have been able to step into your functions. But we have to recognize that if we are to be the Christians, the Christ-like ones, the ones that carry the same anointing as what Christ has carried, Christ meaning the anointed one, and we're carrying on in that and we're walking in that, and if the kingdom of God is to be seen, it still takes all three of those offices, prophet, priest, and king. And God is right now working in your life, all three of those things, and in my life. He's establishing in us His kingship. And, he's, and when we studied Ephesians, we, we saw how it says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are right now in a position of kingship. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. And you have rulership? You have authority? Isn't it Jesus that said, all authority has been given to me, but I now give to you. We have authority. We also have prophecy and we are the prophets of God. Paul writes and he says, we are the living letters. That through us the fragrance is being manifest in this world. We are here today to prophesy and prophesy means to reveal God to make Him known, to make His plans known. Every day through our lives we can live in such a way that it makes Him known. That we speak God's truth and God's perspective and what God wants His will into this world. And we are also right now experiencing the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In our priestly function, in the function where every day we're a living sacrifice, every day we take up our cross and we follow Him, every day we deny ourselves. And it's only in Christ that you can bring all three of those things together. Because if you, tell, if you ask me all on my own, I love the King part, I'd love to focus on those scriptures. I love it when, when the Bible tells me about the authority I have in the name of Jesus and about the position I have in Christ. You know, one of my convictions in life is because I'm a child of the king and you know because God is my father, surely I don't have to drink long-life milk. It's, it's just one of those things in my life. As a child of the king of kings, I think it's an insult to God that I have to drink long-life milk. Surely I can drink fresh milk every day. And in my tea. Amen? How many of you feel that way? Come on. I, I, I just feel it's, it's just right. So when people make me tea, I expect that there should be fresh milk in it. It's my kingly, you know, heritage. I don't drink coffee, for instance, ever. I don't ever drink coffee. But there's times when I go visit people and then they don't ask you. They just give you coffee or you go out to somebody and they buy you a cup of coffee. Then my priestly function has to arise a little bit. Then I might drink the coffee. I I stand there shaking like a leaf because I'm not used to such caffeine fixes. But as the priest, I have to sacrifice every now and then. How many of you know in your life there are days when you feel like the king? You feel like the triumphal entry and you feel like... Finally, it's all coming together. Wow, what potential, what hope, what, what joy do we have? And then there's other days when the priestly function arises and you go, oh, really? Really? And then you want to quote all the scriptures about the king and about the authority and about being the son of God and walking in righteousness. But in us, God brings together these three offices. A very well-known scripture that I think many of us can even quote. Also in Revelation, brings these three together in such a powerful way. In Revelation 12, verse 11, it says the following. When it speaks about how when you stand there that day, the angels and the myriads of people at the worship of God will look back and say, and they'll tell the story about how the enemy was beaten. How Satan and the dragon was overcome. How his power was taken away from him. How did it happen? How did, how did we come to this place in heaven now where God's name is exalted and, and everything comes together on him and there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more sickness. How did it happen? Revelations 12 verse 11 tells us, and they overcame him. and The they is us. Because of the blood of the lamb Because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even when faced with death. I think the blood of the Lamb speaks of our kingly office. It is the royal blood that has washed us, that is upon us, that is now our identity, that we are the children of the King. The word of their testimony is our prophetic function that we have, the office we stand in. Because right now it is my testimony, as it is your testimony if you're a child of the King and if you're a follower of Jesus, that right now I live in a world where Jesus is on the throne. Amen? Amen. You may live in a world or others may live in a world where men are on the throne or where the enemy's on the throne or Satan's on the throne, but I live in a world where on the throne is the Lamb that was slain. And that shapes my reality. That's my testimony. That's my prophetic declaration every day. I don't live in a nation where we don't know how it's going to work out. I don't live in a nation where I have to have fear about who's going to have their way, which party. which I live in a nation where Jesus is on the throne. And that's my reality. Now I know there's a, there's a gap between that reality and what we experience. And, but this is our testimony. This is our prophetic function. We reveal to the world that cannot see that Christ is on the throne. And also, our priestly function, that we don't even love our lives when threatened with death so much that we hold on to it. Because we've already died, haven't we? Are you a dead person? Yes, you are. I have died with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but He that lives within me. I have died. I am a, I, every day I live as a living sacrifice. Every day I start and I say, Lord, I give you my life today. It's no longer for me, Lord. It's you. So my life is not something to be held on to. My life is not something to protect at all costs. My life belongs to Him. And in that, I am a priest. Every day. That sacrifice of Christ. Is being lived through me, and because of that, when I when I'm in this world, and I'm busy with the things of this world, in the time that God has allotted me to serve Him in this reality and to be part of this world, I'm a king that has authority. I'm a priest that uh, a prophet that speaks and reveals God, but I'm also a priest that can sacrifice. That from time to time will need to. Allow things and accept things so that others can come to the fuller knowledge of Christ. And it's only by the working of the Spirit that we can bring all three of those together and be led by the Spirit as to how we live and how we stand in those things. Worship guys, you want to join me on stage? Thank you very much. You are a king, child of the king. You're a king. God is working His kingship in you. You are the prophet. And through you, God is proclaiming who He is and His will. And you are the priest. The priesthood of Christ is in you. We want to do a prophetic activation with you and ask you to join us in an action that we want to do in, on this Easter time, as we have beheld the Lamb, and as if we've seen the Lamb that is on the throne. And we want to share that. We want to take that forward, and we want to say to people that God is for you. God loves you. God has done these amazing things for you. And the best way we can do that is to spread the word. So you'll notice on the stage and on the front here we have 2,000. 2,000? 2000, 2,500? 2,000. 2,000 of these New Testaments. This is an abundant life New Testament. And what we would like you to do is for each person, uh, if you're single or, or a couple, per couple one, or a family per one, if there's left over, you want to hang around, and if there's left over, you can take more. But we'd like to have every household have one of these. And simply what we would like you to do is to take this New Testament And to just carry it with you and pray over it and ask the Lord, where must you leave it? And then you can either give it to somebody if you feel led. Just give it to somebody. You don't have to even say anything. Or you can just leave it somewhere. Just leave it in a public place. If you're going for a cup of coffee with somebody, just leave it there. And if the waiter runs after you, say it's okay. Just just leave it there. Or you can take it if you want to. Or wherever you go in a public space, just leave the Bible. And we're going to trust God. You'll see in the front here it has a sticker with our church's details just as a contact point for people that may need it. But we're going to trust the Lord that His word will go forth and that each one of these will be a seed for the kingdom. So it's not a hugely sacrificial thing that you have to do, but it does ask of you in some way to to step out and say I'm going to trust the Lord for somebody else. So we're going to End our service just now. and I'd like you to come and fetch one of these, these Bibles and just to take them with you and allow the Spirit of God to use it for His name's sake. If you want to be prayed for today, if you need a word of prayer from us, our team, our elders and pastors and leaders will be so grateful that we can pray with you. Then you'll just need to give a bit of time so that people can come and fetch Bibles and then go. But if you and if you want to be baptized, there is baptism in the functions hall today, and please go and help yourself there. Do we have some of the Bibles upstairs? Also, is it just here? There are tables upstairs in the Koppenong room, there where you had communion on Friday. If you want to go and just hey, on the landings, sorry, there's tables. You'll see them, and they'll also have these, and you're welcome to help yourself. So you don't have to try and come down here. But can we stand and I want to pray, and then we. Mika and the team's going to lead us in a song. Let's just focus on the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, the lamb that is on the throne. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came as the king with the authority. We thank you that you came as the Prophet that came and revealed God to us. Make make yourself known to us. And we thank you, Lord, that you came as a priest. That you came to do the sacrifice that we couldn't do. That you came to take away the sins of the world. And we thank you today that as we behold, we see you on the throne. We see you. Our hearts are filled with joy. Our hearts are filled with hope, with faith. Because you are on the throne. And we pray, Lord, that you would work in us by your Spirit. Strengthen us. So that this world through us can know that you are on the throne. Use each of us, Lord. As kings, as prophets, as priests. Use us, Lord. To make you known in this world to let people hear this wonderful message. Let our testimony ring out, we pray. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have, just to share your word and to plant your word as seeds into our city, into our community. And I pray that every one of these Bibles, Lord, as they go out, we trust you, Father, that they would find fertile soil, whether it be now, whether it be years from now, that one of these Bibles will, will cause somebody to turn And to see and to behold the Lamb. And we trust you for that. I pray that each of us, we will hear your voice. And sense your speaking to us as you guide us and lead us. About how to sow this seed. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.